and now they're like guerrilla bargaining for Phyrexia's coming out. It's like, bam, fingernails. Here's your pick. Here's your cards. <laughs> so do you think that that is on? Do you think that they did those on purpose? Like, I think so. At this, like, it's so either they screwed up so badly, I'm kind of surprised, or they did it yeah. on purpose and just not talking about it. Because they're in like Brothers War packs, right? Or Dominary United packs or something? Yeah. Which Very at this weird. point would be the second print run, right? Yeah. I think maybe it's just a mistake, but it's, it, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely like it keeps happening, though. I would expect them, like, if it's a mistake, it would have had to have been, like, a full sheet. It's so much of the set <laughs> in, in a bunch of different, it's not like all commons or something, like a common sheet got slipped in. It's like one bad actor who just, like, decided to leak the whole thing. Or one freedom fighter. For oh, yeah, yeah. It one whistleblower. On... Everyone needs Mirrodin. to know about Elish Norn so that commander players can get upset early. <laughs> uh, and everybody needs to know about the 10 versions of Elish Norn so that everyone else can be mad at something, too. The crazy thing. Well, we thought it was going to be a lot when it was five, and then now it's 10. How did it double? <laughs> I love that the source for that is just like a, a Watsy tweet. Like, here's the best way to see all the versions. Here are the 10 Elishnoids. And in the and tweet, like... you can't even see all the versions clearly. Like, here's the best way to see all the versions. We stacked three on top of each other. Like, <laughs> three with like different arts. Yeah. Like, they're not like the same. It's not like, oh, these are only slightly different. So it's just three that get stacked on I top of like each other. I feel like that's them admitting that it's not a good idea like the best way to see it is to not see like most of them <laughs> the, the person making the graphic hey have we have we gone too far here yeah. <laughs> nah there's like a there's a, a, a soup like a supervisor standing over their shoulder add another one add another one <laughs> we don't we don't have any art yeah. use that use that concept art make a concept art one there it's kylo ren from uh the last jedi being like more we need more like, squeezing <laughs> his fist so tightly <laughs> yeah it was definitely also a dark jedi of some sort behind the like D D thing oh that God. they are also doing well it looks like they're walking that back now oh i didn't i heard about the D thing that it exists is that the one where they're like they claim they own content other people have made for their campaigns or something like that i think it's even worse than that right like so they there's something called the open gaming license which basically like allows people to use parts of the like d20 system to develop games and develop like modules and stuff for DD. and that's been in place for a long time and basically they were just coming out and saying like okay we're just gonna walk that back and nobody else can make new content using this and also old content using this like you can't sell that anymore you can't make money without paying us like 30 percent of the gross or something like that i don't know all of the details but it basically was like a big promise made to people saying like you can use this stuff to make things for DD and ancillary to DD. and then they were years and years later coming out and saying like no you have to pay us like a lot of money now and it was not okay yeah a bunch of like content creators in the DD realm were talking about just like how uh, horrible but it's, like it's basically like a universally abhorred decision there wasn't a single person who wasn't you know a higher up at hasbro or whatever that was like this is great this makes sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i didn't even see any devils advocating for it. i didn't see anybody being like look it's not great but when you think about like everybody just despised it so which i wonder if they like leaked it 
early just to see if they could get away with it and then found out that they couldn't or something. I don't know. That might be too conspiracy I mean, theory. That is a classic Quatsi yeah. thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of test the waters, you know, see, see what we can get away with here. Well, you know, we can talk about magic for now as long as Watsi still exists, but at some point that won't be an option anymore, I guess. They'll own this podcast. <laughs> it's, a, it's a derivative work. <laughs> How dare you talk about all the Elish Norns in such disparaging fashion? <laughs> the amount of time we spend not talking about magic on the podcast, though, I like hopefully should insulate yeah, us. They'll only own like 20% of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's not a controlling share. Yeah. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to episode 276 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Well, hi Chris. And also with us, joining us for her second reporter in the field appearance, we have Jesse Robkin, fresh off of a second place finish at the NRG Champs this past weekend. Jesse, how are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm one order of magnitude worse, though, than I would have been if I had won. But for the most part, I'm good. So you're like... 10% as good as you would be if you had won the tournament. Yeah, so every time I, I every like level up that I have at a tournament, that's that's like 10 times as good as my previous as how I had felt. Wow. It's very volatile. I mean, and you seem like fine now, so would you be just like radiating ethereal light or something like that right now? Yeah, I think if if I had won, uh you probably would have had to end this podcast early. It would be almost too much, you know what I mean? The trumpets and just everything, really. <laughs> yeah. I would have had a full mariachi band behind me. Yeah, it would have been <laughs> All right. Well, I really hope you win next year because I want this production value as part of the the podcast. In I here. did. I did enjoy when you you were on last time. I can't remember if this was recorded or something we talked about afterwards. You wanted to, if you won, is what you said. You're going to make a tier list of how people did in the event, so you could be at the top. <laughs> uh, and you know, love to see that you did that anyway. Yeah, I I decided that that uh, it was a good enough fit that I was going to do it regardless of the fact that I didn't win. Um, and Raja, Raja earned being at the top, I think. I'll, I'll gladly take second place in the in the scientifically correct energy champs tier list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to pull the focus away from you or your, your accomplishments or anything, but Raja is just an absolute killer. I, I really think that he played better against me than I've ever seen anyone play against me. Like, just so careful, thoughtful intentional with every play like those were those three matches all three of them i think were some of the most intense matches of magic i've ever played and looking at the coverage i'm pretty sure it lasted like three hours maybe in total i was completely gone by the end of it i could not i i watched the whole thing pretty much and i like i took the dog for a walk like i cleaned the living room like i accomplished like several different things while watching your three match match I, and if I had been playing hard magic the entire time, I, I imagine that that must have been exhausting. Yeah, I remember after game one of match one, uh, where I lost a like 35, 40 minute pre-board game, <laughs> Teamer Breach versus Bant Control, 
where I was ahead for a good portion of it. Afterwards, I was just like, oh my God, like I could play as many as eight more of these. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, went to take a bathroom break and I was like, just, oh my God, I'm like, oh man. Uh, yeah, it was it was very, very intense. I mean, that game was tough. That was the one where you were like winning the whole time. You had Ren and Six out, but then you just like drew nothing the whole time. So you like didn't miss a land drop. And also you positioned like seven of his lands or something like that. It was funny, though, because the commentators were like continued talking about the bozejuing raja strategy and like we're talking about it like during sideboarding like it was something that he was going to take into consideration or something and it's like it was really a making lemonade situation <laughs> yes <laughs> um i don't i don't think she wants to be doing this right now i think it's just kind of happening yeah i uh i it did occur to me that like making leyline binding cost three or whatever like maybe mattered but like ultimately i didn't think it was likely i was ever actually going to stone rain him out of the game it, it did like make some things awkward for him i think ultimately i just needed to draw like anything at some point yeah i mean an underworld breach somewhere in the top 30 cards of your deck probably would oh yeah probably would have been pretty good well there was a turn where uh i cast like a gigantha into a counter spell he countered it and if i had a breach in hand that was game because i had all the other pieces mm -hmm. but yeah it just just didn't happen but you know it is what it is like i i i don't really put a lot of stock in the idea of like ah oh, like i got so unlucky i didn't draw a breach you, you, if, you draw yeah. the cards that you right. drew and then you try to make the most of it i i think there's i i do think uh i was re-watching it uh this like la late last night and early this morning i there's definitely a couple spots where i i messed up like picking up a Viseju on a turn where I needed to be able to like play uh, Gigantha and activate uh, Saga in order to play around a single removal spell so that my Ren could ultimate. But I picked up a Viseju before I even thought about how much mana I had for that turn. And I wasn't able to do both things, which allowed him to attack down. Like th little things like that that I noticed. Um, if I had picked up like a fetch land and fetched an island, played Gigantha, held up the Urza Saga activation, I would have been in way better shape. Stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that match was fantastic to watch, though, all the way through. And just one of the heaters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I especially liked you You lost the first Modern match, and then you had to choose whether to play Modern and Pioneer, and you just kind of had to run back like, yeah, I got to play the matchup I just lost because otherwise I'm playing Mono White versus Rakdos. Yeah, so we, Andrew and I, who Andrew Ellenberg was my teammate for this uh, tournament, talked a lot about what I was supposed to pick when it was my turn to pick the format. Um, and the structure was a bit strange. I, ultimately, in the finals, it worked out sort of how it was supposed to because Raja did do... He finished first in our pod, whereas I finished second anyway. So it, it wouldn't have mattered regardless of how it broke down. But it mattered a lot more in, this, in the semifinals in my match against Andrew. Basically, the structure had it so that how well you did in specifically round three which was the pioneer double elimination bracket decided what your seeding was in the final round. So Andrew finished 2-0 in pioneer, whereas I only finished 2-1, uh, which meant that uh, he had the higher seed go in the, in our semifinals match, even though if you look at like the entire scope of the tournament, I had performed better mm. and had like a better record, which ends up being a huge advantage. In that case, we were playing an 150 card mirror and he obviously, knows a thing or two about mono white mirror and uh 
obviously I would be better off if we played the breach mirror. Basically, I realized before that match that like if if I lost the mono white mirror to Andrew, I was supposed to pick mono white again, even though I'm unfavored against him, just so that I could be on the play because then he would be mm. forced to pick teamer for the third one and then I would be on the draw for it. But at least then uh, it, it's either way, I was going to have to play mono white twice. Um, and uh, this way, at least I get to be on the play for one of those matches. Whereas in the team or breach mirror, it's not as important to be on the play. So that was like my plan going into it to sort of like make up for how lopsided of an advantage that gave him. But then I won. I, I'm sort of getting ahead of myself <laughs> or I guess behind myself here, but I won match one against him on the draw in the mono white mirror and was like, well, I guess I'm going to pick breach now. Cause if I win, then you're out. Like, <laughs> so I was, uh, so a similar, it was a similar thought was going through my head against Raja where I lost Oh two to him, but I'm pretty sure that matchup is pretty even. I, the data suggests for what it's worth that mono white is about, uh, 53% against Rakdos. Um, and our specific build was built to like slightly hedge against Rakdos. We expected more Rakdos than there was, which we can get into uh, in a bit. But uh, we had two uh, uh, Skyclave apparitions in the main deck instead of the third and fourth Brutal Cathar, uh, which are better against Rakdos. In the words of uh, Andrew, uh, there's nothing he loves more than turning Shieldred into a 4-4 illusion token. Um, so... <laughs> Basically, I was like, it's not as important to be on the play in the Rakdos uh, mono white matchup as it is to be on the play against the Chalice of the Void deck. Like, if I keep part of why I lost to Raja in pod in our pod was because uh, I was on the draw and I kept a hand with three zeros in my hand, and he went turn one Chalice on zero, and I was like, awesome, cool. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was basically just like, all right, you two owed me, bet, let's go again, let's run it back, it's my turn. Um, so, and I was right. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we back up a little bit and talk about your prep for the tournament? Uh, this is especially, you know, after our episode with Ash, you know, I've been thinking a lot about tournament preparation and testing and practicing, and I'm really interested in getting looks inside of the preparation of players who have been successful. You know, I just kind of want to hear about your process for this tournament. I know you were working with Andrew. I don't know if you had other people involved who were not in the tournament. Did you have a specific schedule or anything? How many, how much gameplay did you actually do versus like thinking about it? Like what, what was your prep process like for this tournament? I believe that Andrew and I prepared, like spent more time preparing for this tournament than anyone else in the room. Um, but after having conversations with people and stuff like that. So we knew we were going to uh, to test together as early as the NRG Newark in October. I actually started like putting together a Discord to test. Like I think it was leading into Louisville. So it was like a week or two before NRG Louisville, uh, like the first week of December or something like that. It was the two of us and then no one else from the field, but we had uh, Ash was in the Discord, Mason Clark, uh, Max McBeatie, Harrison Fang, um, and then a couple other people who were mostly just there because they're our friends and they didn't really say anything. But uh, <laughs> Andrew and I had a phone call after Louisville where we basically talked about how we wanted to handle testing. And we agreed that we wanted to spend roughly three or four days a week 
playing for about two to three hours each each time. We wound up mostly getting there, I would say. It wasn't always both of us testing at the same time. Sometimes one of our friends that were helping out would be testing against us and we would post our findings and stuff. From the get-go, I had my eye on Team Rebreach as a thing that I thought we might want to play because I felt like uh, at the time we thought, first of all, that there was going to be a lot of Breach in the room. There are, uh, apart from me and Andrew, there were as many as four or five other players in Qualified for Champs who had Breach in their range and had played it recently, uh, including like uh, Piper and Connor and Nicole. Uh, so we, we basically thought, and we knew there were going to be a bunch of control uh, players with like Raja, Zach, Ivan, uh, Joe, Bernal. So we basically thought the field was going to be control, breach, and hammer as like the primary things with like one elementals player, one living end player, and one Merktide player, basically. And so that's a pretty narrow field. And I felt like team or breach, and I felt like people were going to be prepared for uh, the breach combo deck. Uh, and so I didn't want to just play stock, just guy breach because I felt like we'd be vulnerable. And I felt like teamer and specifically Ren and six plus Besaju was going to be a great way to handle the hate cards, the chalices, the leyline bindings, you know, the, the rest in pieces, whatever it was being able to recur saga made dress down less of a concern. Cause even if you, you can survive one dress down and then keep going, having fable was really important for the control decks. Also Ren plus Besaju is excellent, both in the breach mirror and against hammer. Um, and so there were just like, countless reasons why I thought Teamer was going to be a great choice. And I sketched up a version of it before Louisville saying, this is what I think we should start with. And then we ended up, we played a little bit of it and then sort of put it down for a while and just tried to test anything else. Like we were like, let's see if we can play anything but breach. Uh, and every choice we made of things we, we tested, which was like amulet zoo elementals. We briefly considered Grix's death shadow, although we didn't actually put much time into playing that. Basically everything we picked failed the Jeskai breach test. We like played it against Jeskai breach. And then I, you know, clowned on Andrew. Uh, and, uh, it like, there was a time we thought amulet was going to be a great choice for the weekend. And, uh, we were like, it's good against hammer. It's good against control. It's like, seems like, and everyone else on the team was like, it looks great against breach. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I beat amulet like constantly with breach. So we can play, we can try it. We ended up play testing. Uh, well, well, before I was able to test, uh, Andrew played against Harrison, crushed him where Harrison was playing breach and Andrew was on amulet. And so, uh, Andrew was like, amulet's great like playing all these leagues on an alt account and then i finally had a chance to play and he played against me and i beat him a bunch and then he's like this is weird because this is like sort of incongruent i don't know if like it's just a luck thing and then oh i forgot uh kane reinhardt also was in our our team he played against kane kane also crushed him he was like all right we're off amulet like <laughs> it's just not <laughs> um, so that was basically the plan in modern in pioneer we knew we wanted to play mono white also for basically the whole time um because the data suggests that it's probably the best deck in Pioneer right now. It's like uh, got it had it came out of the RC season with uh, a 53% win rate, and that's a very high win rate considering it's the fourth most played deck. I think the data basically, uh, if you're a data truther, it's like Mono White or Gruel are like the two best decks, and then Rakdos is good. And then Lotus Field is sometimes good. It was basically like sort of our considerations, those four decks. We felt like there weren't going to be a lot of people playing mono white, which ended up being wrong. Um, and we felt like it was going to be really good against like the mono green, 
the blue white players and the lotus players that we expected that was like how we sort of selected our own decks we didn't spend very much time in pioneer either because we felt like there was it was somewhat hard to get an edge in pioneer in deck construction this format's a bit of a crapshoot we instead focused on modern because we felt like that was where we could really like sort of flex our like sort of magic theory muscles and like really figure out okay here is like how we, we can like tune a list that's like excellent against the decks we also felt like we knew what everyone was going to play in modern because it makes sense to me when you say that it's harder to gain an edge in pioneer than modern that just tracks everything i think about those two formats but can you kind of go into why you think pioneer is harder too yeah well i think first of all pioneer matchups tend to be a bit more lopsided in general i would say this obviously you know Somewhat of a generalization, but like mono white versus Lotus Field, very lopsided matchup. Lotus Field versus Phoenix, very lopsided matchup. Blue white versus Angels, very lopsided. Like there's just a ton of these matchups that are heavily unfavored for one side. So it's partly that. And then it's also your sideboard cards are not nearly as impactful in Pioneer. It's really hard to be like, I'm targeting like specifically Rakdos mid-range with this sideboard card. I mean, mono white does that to some extent with like wedding announcement, but um there's not right but it's not like bringing in relics against the graveyard yeah or or, uh or like you know bringing in aether gust versus amulet like things like that like it's it's not nearly as sort of surgical you can't have as much surgical precision with your like sideboard tech which is also why i think you see a lot of pioneer sideboards that have a bunch of like three ofs and four ofs and stuff like that instead of you know one or two ofs you just don't really have like a breadth of powerful options in pioneer yeah basically yeah, exactly. Like like our Pioneer sideboards for Mono White is just like we're slamming four wedding announcement in the sideboard. We have like a couple portable hole and then everything else is just like, you know, what do we like vaguely want to be able to hit? Like do we want like I guess Destroy Evil is kind of a staple now because it hits Shielded and like Temporary Lockdown. But but in general, it's just like, you know, you don't you have like eight or nine slots that could really just be yeah so it's tough to get edges in pioneer because you have bad matchups that are very bad and like there's not there's limited options for for fixing those or buying percentage points back i guess yeah and then the other thing was that very few people in the field had like a type in pioneer very few people were like oh that guy always plays rakdos or whatever i would say five or six players there was any sort of we had like a pretty strong idea of what they might play Maybe, maybe more than that, maybe like eight, but roughly half the field, we were like, they could play anything. Um, we think they might put like, basically we thought that most people would look at the field and think Rakdos was the best deck. And so we thought there would be like maybe four ish Rakdos players and there wound up only being two. Andrew was pretty sure that there was going to be a lot of blue white players. I thought there were going to be fewer. He ended up being right about that. We sort of accurately assessed that there wasn't going to be any Phoenix, but then we had a team meeting on Monday before the championship and we brought this up. Max McVitie was like, I'm concerned that we might not be able to beat Phoenix post-board if anyone does bring it, if we don't have rest in peace, or at least not consistently enough. We were like, all right, can you and Harrison go like go off and test post-board matches of Phoenix without rest in peace and let us know how it is? And they came back to us <laughs> and we were like, yeah, it was pretty rough post-board, rougher than it norm- normally Mono White is favored against Phoenix. But they were like, yeah, I don't think, I think it gets pretty suspect without the, the rest in pieces. And so Andrew got spooked and was like, all right, we're going to put one rest in peace in the sideboard. And I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> and then zero people register Phoenix. There's zero matchups where rest in peace comes in. We end up having an 149 card pair of decks instead of 150. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> That's the, the flex tape on the, on the tank of water. <laughs> yeah. Like Phoenix matchup, 
one rest exactly <laughs> it's like this. that's not even like enough i don't know like if if someone did bring right. phoenix like yeah. I, I was joking that it's like putting an emrakul in your sideboard to ward away the the mill players like if you have a rest of these <laughs> in your sideboard no one will register phoenix i mean it works yeah, i guess so. there you go i have <laughs> yeah it's so true about the emrakul though every time someone puts a random eldrazi on their deck there's no mill deck. No. <laughs> <laughs> i was so last year uh on the energy circuit there uh mill was like kind of a deck and i was playing a ton of blue white i was a bit scared of playing as mill because that's a really bad matchup and so i put like an emrakul on my sideboard and i didn't play against it at all and i was like all right well next time didn't play against it at all i was like all right fine i'll take it out and then in a, in like a um it was a winning in for top 16 i think i i get paired into mill the the first tournament that i like take the the emerald out of my board and i lose obviously and i'm like all right screw it like we're putting it back in and then i just never played against it again <laughs> yeah, yeah. the, the emerald in the sideboard is the the rock that keeps bears away exactly like that's, that's very important is there anything in particular about like the split format that affected your preparation or anything about the small field other than, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about your your predictions of what individual players would play. But was there anything else that like the small field did to affect, you know, what you were thinking about going into the tournament? Well, one thing it did was make us be way more secretive about our preparation in a way that like mm-hmm. Andrew especially is a big proponent in like rc level fields of not being secretive and that information is is more valuable but in this tournament we really did have to like be pretty sort of keep our our cards close to the vest as they say sort of it was a really weird time where like 90 percent of us were all like i knew everyone in the room really well friends with pretty much everybody like normally preparing for a tournament would be like talking to them and stuff but like it was a really weird like month basically where like we were all sort of prepping in secret and couldn't talk about it with anybody for fear of giving up information yeah that's what you just can't talk about magic with your friends yeah and uh i was i drove zoe to the tournament zoe prepared with uh mac Andreas, and i was like driving her to the tournament and by that point decklists were submitted pods were announced and like everyone was talking more openly and we were just like man it's so good to be able to like just talk to each other again <laughs> like about magic like i don't know it's it's it was a really interesting lead up uh but it was also a lot of fun i would say like just having i love like thinking and talking about like magic theory that's part of why my job now is like writing about magic i think that like there's so much so many edges that can be gained in your preparation and in uh just like sort of uh planning for like basically having a plan for like lots of matchups um and even a bad matchup, if I feel like I have a plan for it, I feel better about it because I'm not just playing cards at random and I can kind of like identify when there are windows for me to sort of edge, you know, in front. And so I really enjoyed the process of just like we had our, our Discord. I'm, I'm pulling it up here off to the side. Our Discord had a, a section on Pioneer with every like relevant deck in Pioneer, a section on Modern with every relevant deck in Modern. And then we had a section uh that i titled nrg champs tier list hashtag real which was just every player <laughs> in champs had their own channel and if we like got any information about them or any like uh, <laughs> if we like saw a moda result we like posted it there we talked about what we thought they might play in those channels yeah so it was just like it was so cool to just like we're playing against our friends it was going to be a t- like a just the most intense competition that i personally had ever played against obviously not that same is not true for Andrew, but uh, 
being and 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 the, we knew the tournament was going to be grueling, right? Like the the structure is designed to really just it's it's a bit like a you know a seven game series in like an NBA finals. Like you can't just like get lucky and like you know go on a run through the tournament. Like they it puts you to the test over and over again, playing lots of matches. Just like being ready for that and like getting in a good mental headspace and and being like I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel good about my preparation. I feel good about like my mental state. Um, I feel good about my ability to like think <laughs> when I'm in the, the in a a match and 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 be methodical i felt amazing about our decks by the end of it like i I, there wasn't a single card i would have changed in in the teamer deck and there was uh, 74 excellent cards in our mono white deck uh (laughs) and uh yeah i i and i think it shows by the fact that both andrew and i top forward and i think i think if we hadn't been on the same side of the top four bracket you know one of us would have won and the other would have gotten second so is there anything in particular that you know, you would ascribe your and Andrew's success to, or is it just kind of like you, you think you just did good preparation the whole time? I think our communication was really good throughout. Uh, we had we were both listening to each other's ideas. We both brought stuff to the table. We both put in time, effort. We both cared. Andrew once told a story to me about a time he was riding in uh, a car to a magic excuse me, a magic tournament with Max McBeady and a, a couple other people. I don't remember the other players in the car, but they were talking about their infect sideboard and they were arguing about whether or not they should play two spell pierce or three. And like at one point, like in the argument, Max like falls asleep. He wakes up like an hour later. They're still talking about it. He's like, oh my God, are you still <laughs> talking about this? And they're like, yeah, well, we haven't come to a consensus yet. And then Max said, well, have you considered that two spell pierce is great and three spell pierce is awful? <laughs> And then and Andrew was like, oh, and like there was like, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. They're going with two spell peers. So but uh, and so that like meme has like come up a lot of like we were talking about. So we, we were like talking in our discord about like whether or not we we're going to play two or three main deck fable because Andrew had gotten really impressed with fable and his testing. And I was like, well, I mean, two, two fable is great. And three is awful. And he was like, oh no, my one weakness. All right. Two fable. It is. So like, uh, there was like a, an excellent mix of just like, like, I think it's his pin tweet or something. Andrew has this, this quote that's like being good at magic is in like drawing correct conclusions from sample sizes that are too small to draw conclusions from. We had a, a really good mix throughout the process. We could have like in-depth discussions about like theory and like what what cards should go where what what was good what wasn't and we could do that but we also had this like nice shorthand of like when it was really more of a gut instincts and we couldn't really articulate it and the best you could do was to say two fable is good three or or, two fable is great three is awful so we didn't waste very much time i would say for the most part on going down rabbit holes or anything like that because we like trusted each other immensely throughout the process basically very cool is there anything that you would do differently next time that you're preparing for one of these? I mean, I might try to get us get to a similar place that we got in slightly less time now that like we've had more experience and like spend less time. We we definitely like spent some time entertaining decks that I think in retrospect were not worth entertaining. We even considered Merfolk at one point, which I'm kind of embarrassed to say. <laughs> the Merfolk fooled people there for a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It, it's just like. We were, there was definitely a period where we were like, we're going to like, maybe there's this like genius deck that will like beat everybody based on what we think they're going to have. But I think ultimately just like picking a variant of a deck we already knew was good, that like was just enough of a sidestep that it would catch people off guard to some extent uh, was 
the right call. But ultimately, like where we landed, it's really hard to be disappointed at all in, in what we did. Um, so I'm not sure I would change very much about anything. I mean, I might change one card, um, but, but uh, uh, I think... Uh, the only other no, thing yeah and the question is not what what cards would you play now sure, that you know yeah. all of the decks in the tournament <laughs> yeah the only so. other thing i think we might have considered is um we, we talked about maybe we were supposed to consider gruel a little bit harder um because mm-hmm. it did look pretty good in the room i i don't know the, I, I i don't think we there's anything i would have done differently the, i got oh the other thing would be um it, it's hard to know the right number of people to like work with like people who are not um in the tournament queued for the tournament themselves and like they're not gonna they're only gonna have sort of limited interest no matter what like this short just by nature of the situation um and so we might play around with like how many people we have and like if we want to like uh like like how to like foster discussion in in the in the um discord among other people who are not queued uh, but are our friends and, and you know care about our success you know, I had some questions here about the like specific choices that y'all made, but you kind of went into that just naturally about your predictions for the field, why you chose Team or Breach, that Ren and Six, Ozeju Synergy, really heavily featuring in that choice. And uh, I don't know, was were there any specific choices that like we might not have noticed from your list like anything you were like particularly proud of coming up with or or fitting in there i i think for the most part we did for instance moving the cathars to the sideboard i'm not even sure that was the right choice in retrospect i think oh uh redane is one that i was we were really happy with all weekend and i think will become a staple in our sideboards going forward or mono white Mostly because, well, we expected a, one to two people to play red-black sack, which is a really tough matchup, but Redain is huge in that matchup. The, the backside specifically being uh, a shield against Mayhem Devil and making it hard for them to to ping and stuff. But we just kept finding situations where Redain was great. Like, it was really good against uh, Blue-White. Um, it wound up being great against the uh, Enigmatic Incarnation deck. We even decided to start, like, it was great against Lotus Field. Um, and then... We even realized that against uh, Gruel Boats, it was really good because it made the the vehicles cost two more, which is pretty huge. And against Mm -hmm. Angels, we decided to bring it in because it made the Cocos too expensive for them to realistically cast on time. Um, And so it was just like one of those things that as we played more and more, we were like, man, this card is awesome. In Teamer, Haywire Might is just like an absolute banger of a card. And the other big one was uh, Gigantha. Andrew fell in love with Gigantha over the weekend. I don't know if you guys saw his match. There were a lot of Gigantha's cast <laughs> yeah. in that like top four. Yeah, in the top four, definitely. But in his like uh, winning into day two uh, against Piper, uh, he she had a Blood Moon in play, and Andrew <laughs> was able to cast Ren and Six for lethal when she was at one by tapping the Gigantha for mana and casting Ren and Six and then pinging uh, Piper when he was basically dead on his next turn and, and she had a big hearse to block the Gigantha. So Gigantha just sort of like insulating us against Blood Moon against the scam decks was like pretty valuable. Andrew loves Gigantha now. Um, <laughs> he went from being <laughs> unsure that we should play Grape Shot over Thassa's Oracle to both liking Grape Shot a lot and thinking uh, Gigantha was like you know i don't know his favorite card against uh scam so <laughs> yeah that's the opposite of my general feelings on gigantha but i guess if you have a specific 
reason that it actually does something. I hate Gigantha from a card design perspective, and I'm not even the yes. biggest fan of it in Reach, I would say, in general. But in a field full of control decks and scam decks, it was definitely, it overperformed. Sure. It's an extra card. It's a companion. <laughs> did you feel good about your choices when you like saw the meta breakdown and what people were playing in the tournament? Or did you feel any sense of like, oh, I missed something or, or anything there? Felt good about Teamer. Mono White, when Will announced that he was playing Gruel, which we did not expect at all, uh, we were like, oh, crap. Like, this is a bad matchup. We weren't expecting anyone to bring this deck. He's in our pod. And we wound up like, <laughs> that was, he and Will announced it or like posted it on Thursday, I believe. And that night I got together. Andrew had gotten into town early. So he, me, him, and, and Harrison all got together and just like proxied up Will's Gruel deck and just like jammed a bunch of games into it and mono white lost a bunch and we were like oh no oh no and then we we figured out that post-board wedding announcement was quite good mm -hmm. and we so we felt a bit better after that um and then ultimately will was the only one that brought gruel and andrew actually managed to beat him when they played pioneer which is cool but yeah it was uh i would say by the time not necessarily when the metagame was like announced but by the time day one was over we felt really good about our choices in pioneer we basically only had two bad matchups in the room, which were uh, uh, Angels and uh, Gruel. And I think if you, out of 14 players that you're playing against, uh, if only two of those are bad matchups, that's like, I think you know you can you can feel good about that uh, deck choice. In Modern, we specifically made our deck worse against Cascade decks because apart from Zoe, we didn't think anyone would play Cascade decks. And then when Zoe made top four with both of us, we, we were like, oh no, <laughs> like this is going to be a disaster in the final. But apart from that, like we felt pretty good against Scam thanks to our Fables and, and the Ren plan. Basically everyone else, I think Raja's control deck was quite well positioned against us because of the uh, double Ray of Revelation in his sideboard, which really messes us up. But uh yeah, it, I would say we had no regrets, basically, after seeing the metagame. So, you know, now that we've walked through all of the prep, you know, that was just the sort of like victory lap portion of the episode. <laughs> I mean, second place in this tournament is no joke. So I, whatever you want to tell us about, like the experience of the tournament or just, you know, I, I don't tell know how much story. you want to walk through. Yeah, we probably don't need to do a whole you Started know, at 8 2005 <laughs> era tournament report. <laughs> I woke up to my alarm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, when when the pods were announced, I was definitely had a moment of nervousness because the pod I was in was just, I would say, like, you know, four or five of the strongest players in the room were in, in yeah. my pod. The, um, yeah, the killer pod. Yeah. And, and so I was nervous about that. I was also disappointed to be in Andrew's pod. Obviously, we wanted to dodge each other in the first round. But then I basically... I have a, 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 a motto I like to say, which is uh, it is what it is, uh, which is a good way to make you feel make yourself feel better about almost anything. Um, <laughs> and uh, I basically I gave myself like 20 minutes to be nervous about these pods. And then I was like, all right, it is what it is. And we're going to. Um, and I, I also knew I tend to play better against stronger competition in general. So it ultimately, I think it was it was going to be good motivation. Not that there were a lot of fish in this. Oh room. no! Like basically everyone, I would say was is a great player. Um, 
And that is the other thing about, you know, the pod of death is if like the other pod wasn't also really good. Then round one, I get paired against Andrew, <laughs> like round one, Perfect. match one. Uh, I'm up against Andrew, but it's a breach mirror. And I was definitely like going into the when it, the pods were announced. I was like, I want to play Andrew. At the time, we thought Raja was going to be playing black, white Rajas, which is a nightmare matchup for humans. So I was like, I want to play Andrew, Raja, and um, one other player I'm forgetting that I wanted to play in Modern. And then I wanted to play everyone else in Pioneer. Oh, Will. I wanted to play Will in Modern because he was fun. And I wound up getting paired into Andrew right off the bat. So I didn't have to play him in the mono-white mirror. So I was like, that's a great sign. Like, And then I 2-0 him on the draw, which is sick. And... <laughs> I basically after round one, I'm like, all right, came here with, uh, with I'm already have a win under my belt against one of the strongest players in the room, and I'm feeling good. And then I look at my schedule for the day, and I also got Raja in in modern. So I was like, okay, that's great. Like it's it was Raja and Joe in modern, Joe Bernal. So I knew I I had one bad matchup basically the rest of the day, which was Will. I ended up losing to Raja partly due to. A, forced mulligan i accidentally drew eight cards in my opening hand called a judge and they made me mulligan uh and then i kept a six that had uh three zeros and he chalice on zeroed and so i ended up losing that match in three games because in game three also he just ray of revelation me into oblivion i had uh okay so the the crazy thing was i had two fables and three sagas all of which hit the battlefield that he cleanly answered while only giving me a single construct token and a single loot off of a fable. That's how it was. <laughs> he had both his rev, ray of revelations and he had like a dress down or something. It was, it was obscene. Uh, <laughs> this man came ready to answer a champion. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so I started one one and then I won my next four matches. Felt great going into my match against Will playing uh, Gruel Boats. We ended up playing a really competitive three-game match so I, even after losing that match i still felt good like i was 4-2 and i was locked for the at least the next round and i was live to top to the pod if i won my final match against enig enigmatic incarnation however i needed some things to break my way because both raja and will had tiebreakers on me and were also both live to to go five and two and then my teammate uh clutchingly i will i would say 2-0 will in the feature match which meant that it was just me and Raja that finished 5-2 um, and just like knowing I had made top two of the quote pod of death or whatever it, I was like walking on air the rest of the day and I got to like you know cheer on Andrew as he played three tight matches well he'll be the first to tell you he didn't play super well in a lot of his modern matches but uh, we got to watch him like you know uh, make it to day two um, and uh, yeah just the first day was just like that alone felt like an accomplishment to me. But then by the time the night had come, uh, the nightman had cometh, it was all business again. And it was like, all right, we, you know, I have a chance to win this tournament now. I'm in the top eight. Um, and I knew I was up against Ivan Espinoza on Green White Angels. That's a really bad matchup. But I was looking at his mana base and it was somewhat suspect, I would say. He had four bolt lands. Uh, the 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 white flip land and three of the um, Zendikar tapped lands that the 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 cleric guy the one three. But don't worry, I don't know any of these cards either. Yeah, the <laughs> Zendikar the rising either. lands, <laughs> but <laughs> Amaria's call. Yeah, Amaria's call like, and uh, something cleric. Skyclave cleric. Skyclave cleric. Yeah, and so I was looking at this mana base and I was like, well, this does seem like a bad matchup, but I'm pretty sure I can just like curve out on him and like 
try to punish him for his mana base and then post board i'll just bring in all my removal spells and try to prevent his engine from getting online um and i ended up i lost game one against him and then beat him in both post board games and after that like zach allen came up to me and was like how did you beat ivan like isn't that match impossible for you and i was like i don't know like <laughs> it didn't feel that bad <laughs> <laughs> uh so i was feeling really good after that which is honestly the answer everyone gives every time they play a bad matchup. Oh, yeah, it just didn't feel that bad. <laughs> at, yeah, at any situation. I don't know. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think it's a bad matchup, but I don't think it is as bad as people say, just because you do have the ability to sort of like curve, and, and their deck is a bit inconsistent, I would say. Um, like, it's a bad matchup, but their deck is full of bad cards, and your <laughs> yeah. deck is full of good cards that like their cards are kind of good against. I don't know. And I imagine Redain too, helps out a lot. Yeah. Definitely. I I ended up having a pretty stressful, I would say, round three because I lost to Zoe. I think Zoe's my kryptonite. I, I lose to her constantly in big events. She was playing mono green. Uh, so I lost to her and my back was therefore against the wall. I was up against Connor Mullally in a rematch of our showdown in Louisville, except this time he was on Lotus Field. So I was heavily favored. We played a three game match and I, I managed to beat him uh, to advance to top four. Which felt good to get my to, to get the last laugh in that in that matchup. Uh, <laughs> we have somewhat we have a very jovial behind the scenes but very uh, cutthroat public facing rivalry. I would say. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody believes you guys are really <laughs> that at each other's. Well, throats. hey, if they only watch the feature matches, those things are serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it, it almost feels like I had two different tournaments. I had everything but the top four and then i had the top four which was like it's itself a a marathon well you did kind of just beat the crap out of andrew in your top four match yeah that was sick uh, <laughs> it was it was really nice to prepare with andrew feel really good about our deck choices he did really well for a large portion of the tournament and then i 306 would him in, in our three matches we played the mono white mirror he certainly better at that than i am but i and i was it was interesting i was stuck on two lands in our first game but i was still able to win thanks to brave the elements um and in (laughs) the way he describes it is i basically had my brave the elements face up because i wouldn't have played the way that i had if i didn't have it but he thought about it and he was like i can't possibly beat it and so i'm just going to pretend that you have just like egregiously punted and, and don't have brave the elements in your hand uh and so on the turn i had lethal i, I like in my upkeep cast brave the elements and then drew my card and killed him <laughs> <laughs> style points yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah winning winning that first game on the draw i was like oh wow like i i went into this match just assuming i would lose the first match against him and would have to claw my way into victory with my back against the wall but then I won game one and I was like, huh, maybe I'm going to win this match, this whole set. And so we like boarded in all their removal spells, boarded out our Thalias and we we played the second match. And, and once again, I was just like kind of just crushing him. Uh, my draw lined up really well. Um, and I also I will say uh, I don't love tooting my own horn, but I'm going to do it right here. I think game two of that match, I, I played very very well there was like i had a brutal cathar in my hand that i was just not casting for a long time because i knew the way the mono white mirror plays out you do not want to be the first person to cast brutal cathar you need to be the last person to cast brutal cathar and i had to cast one early and it wound up he had a second one to to exile mine um and i had this other one and i was just like holding onto it and there was a turn where i like cast an adeline instead of casting cathar carmen handy messaged me uh at a certain point 
later in the day and was just like like complimenting me on that on that Adeline play uh and I don't know it, it, I, I'm not like an aggro player I would say although I have obviously had to learn to learn how to play this deck and it felt like emblematic of a lot of like the ways I've grown as a player in the last year was just like recognizing I'm gonna like get my snowballing value engine in play right now because I'm gonna hold on to this Cathar until the last moment and then I had a really sick turn later where I like Cathard his Cathar got my Cathar back Cathard his other Cathar got my uh whatever back uh and then like slam Athalia's lieutenant and just like pump my whole squad and all of a sudden he's just catastrophic yeah the the cascade when you when you get the last Cathar into play is very that's exactly why you want the last Cathar exactly (laughs) and then our breach mirror I kept basically my opening hand had a, a, a removal spell for his first creature and the combo I had breach granny station and Mishra's Bobble. And one of the things about the Breach Mirror, it's a little bit different with Teamer because you have Besaju and Haywire Might. But in traditional Breach Mirrors, there's no real interaction for the combo game one. So you kind of have to race. And so I was like, this is a great hand in this matchup. I'm on the play. And it played out exactly as I thought. I think on like turn four or five, I, I combo killed him. And then we played like a long, long, slow, grindy match uh, game two where I just like, he had a, a lot of early pressure off of big Saga's tokens, and I was able to sort of weather the storm um, and play very patiently, strangle him on his graveyard resources by crypting him a few times, and uh, slowly, slowly position myself ahead of him and then beat him. But yeah, I, I feel like those two matches are, are have no complaints about my own play in those two matches, I think. I feel really good about just, you know, in those mirror matches. Mirror matches are hard. Yeah, you don't have any sort of like hidden advantage it's all like i gotta play good every turn like every single one of them also the worst part about mirror matches to me at least is that you know your opponent also knows what's going on is gonna play well it's like ah man (laughs) (laughs) no free rides and then uh yeah we got to the finals and i was sort of sitting around for a while watching zoe and raja duke it out in their match which was a really interesting match between living end and Bant control yeah that's tough though for i i feel like if i made top four and living end is my modern deck and there's two breach decks and one bant control deck and then i just immediately get paired against the bant control deck i, I feel like i really like lost the <laughs> lost the die roll yeah that one. for real yeah she was saying afterward that she felt like the the control matchups really really rough for her which i think is an accurate statement with all the chalices the endurances the teferis the counter spells the four four endurances in the sideboard yeah. of this blue white control deck it's yeah legit. but she played really well and she, she took game one which is what she needed to do in order to win the match yeah and it was interesting i mean i obviously wanted her to win because she's you know a very good friend of mine but also i was like if raja wins it's definitely better for my chances of winning this tournament uh, so i was in this spot where i was just you know hoping for a good game it is what it is, yeah. It ended up being Raja, who was the favorite, I think, to win if you asked the various commentators at the beginning of the tournament. I definitely made mistakes in the final matches at various points, I think, but I also think that I played better than I've ever played in a high-stakes match before. In general, I would say I feel quite proud of, of how I I handled this the, the pressure for where I'm at currently in my like magic career, I feel like I, I put on a good show. Uh, and, you know, if I were in that same spot again in a year, I'm going to play better, obviously, because that's just how improving works. But um, it felt like a great cap to my year. You know, Raja 
beat me. He like did. He played exceedingly well. I did absolutely earned the victory. And I think if he had played any less well, I would have beaten him. Basically, is how I felt. I don't know. I mean, I can talk about specific matches and stuff, but but the 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 whole thing was just this grueling. I mean, we played seven games. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like you can look back and be like, yeah, I identify these like four or five mistakes or whatever. But like that was a three-hour match. Like if most of your turns you played properly and then you had a handful, like that's just it's it's very difficult to avoid that happening a couple of times in a match that long. That's that many games that amount of time do you think you handled the fatigue well from playing magic continuously that long in one super match <laughs> yeah i think i think i did i i it's really interesting i mean i am a big proponent of just like mindfulness and like meditation between rounds and stuff like that as a way to center yourself and and stay focused and i definitely did that not just between each match but in between each game i like you know, counted slowly to, to five or 10, depending on how much time I had to like reset myself. By the end of game one of match three, I was like, oh, I am kind of toast. Like I don't have very much left in me, but I'm going to, you know, draw in whatever emergency reserves I have to try to to make it through this match. But I was really feeling it by, by the end of the, the first game of the third match. Notably, I think what, what's interesting is, so yeah, I, I obviously, I made some mistakes, but, but it, Raja also identified a few mistakes he made. Um, there was one specific spot that is one of my proudest plays I think I've ever made, which is in, uh, and I don't know if you you noticed this uh, watching this, in game one of match three, we were, uh, the mono white versus Rakdos, we had, he drew just an obscene amount of removal. I had drawn pretty well, but uh, he had answered pretty much everything. And I was down to just like Athalia, that was a 3-2, I believe, and uh, Athalia's lieutenant or something like that. That was a 1-1. I had an Aganjo in my hand, and that was it. And I had three lands because he had killed my Muta Vault from the previous turn. Um, and he untaps. He has a, a Blood Tithe Harvester. He sacks it to kill my Thalia, stomps my Thalia's lieutenant, and then plays Bonecrusher Giant with his exact... He had five lands. And he is like firmly ahead at this point. I untap, and I know I can Aganjo it if he attacks on his next turn. I untap, and I draw Dauntless Bodyguard. And in less than a second, I identify that I can't cast the Bodyguard and hold up a Ganjo. If I cast the Bodyguard, I am very far behind. I can probably afford exactly one turn cycle of not casting spells to try to get him to play into this uh, Aganjo. But if I think about this decision for very long, for any amount of time at all, it's clear I have an Aganjo in my hand and I'm weighing playing it over a spell. Also, like crucially, I had played two Braves already that turn. The only thing that I could possibly have in my hand that would get me to pass the turn in this spot that wasn't a Ganjo is my third and fourth Brave the Elements and nothing. <laughs> and so basically all these thoughts cross my mind at the same time as I'm drawing the, the Dauntless Bodyguard. And before I even have a chance to like decide if this is the right play, I just pass the turn and I like sit there with like my shoulders slumped like I've, you know, like I know I've lost. And so he untaps, he draws a card and he says attack for four. And he like picks up his pen and starts to write. And I, and I flip over the Aganjo as he's doing that. And I'm, and he's like, oh shit. He like throws it off the, the table. And uh, I untap, I draw Thalia's Lieutenant and I, I get to play both my Dauntless Bodyguard and Lieutenant on my next turn. And I ended up winning that game. I think almost like off the back of that specific play in that moment, making that decision as quickly as I did. 
and and then also the, the a little bit of the hollywood action of just like acting like yeah. i just like oh, god like your turn like <laughs> so yeah that was really cool you don't don't think about this one too hard like i i got nothing it's just attack it's fine yeah but exactly it's probably too brave the elements in my hand yeah it's also easier to sell when you're literally very tired well that's definitely true <laughs> that's true <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that was the tournament. What is what are in the cards going forward from here? Do you are you going to take anything you learned like from this specifically or from this past season into your like process for the upcoming season and upcoming tournaments? Uh, I mean, what what are you incorporating from here on out? I learned a ton over the past year, I would say. Uh and like looking at where I was a year ago versus where I am now, um I feel very confident in my own, like where I'm at relative to like where I will be and where I have been. I wrote an article actually for CFB uh, about just like five things I learned in 2022. Um, And I think all of those things will be stuff that I like carry with me to this day, like to like to to the, you know, into the future. This tournament in particular, the thing I feel like I learned was uh, I, I went in and I played as if my opponents were great because they were every single round. And I was like extremely focused and thoughtful. And I'm going to take that energy into every match I play. I think from here on out of just like one of the benefits of being put in the quote unquote death pod was um, knowing that it meant I couldn't slip up basically. And I basically, I'm just going to treat every match that I play in a tournament that matters at all. Like I'm in a death pod, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm, really certain as i make plays that it's like the right moment um oh there's another there was like another moment that i flagged as it was happening in the match i won against uh raja game two of that match i had brought spell pierces in against raja in our first match uh the previous day and so he knew that and i realized because they weren't great in that match that i wasn't going to bring them in in the finals but he didn't know that so i realized he was playing around spell pierce because uh i played uh, a Ren and Six on turn three instead of turn two so that I could hold up Bale of Summer. And I had like an uncracked fetch in play and he didn't try to counter or anything. And then on his turn, he like thought for a long time, then played a land and then Prismatic ending my Ren with two extra mana open. And I, I realized, oh, he's like, sees Spell Pierce in my hand. And so on my next turn, I played a Urza Saga. He thought for a while, didn't didn't destroy it or anything with the trigger on the stack. And then I cast Fable specifically with Breeding Pool up. So I could cast Veil of Summer, but it represented Spell Pierce. And he thought for a second, and then he Dovins vetoed it. And if I had Spell Pierce, it would have worked, but I had Veil. And so I was able to counter it. But yeah, just like, it, it, it's one thing to, I think, I, I had already sort of learned how to get a sense of what my opponent had in hand throughout the past year. But I think this was one of the first tournaments in a while that I identified what my opponent thought was in my hand, Um, (laughs) you know, and like using that to like, it's almost like it's not a thing you can necessarily always do, but I, I, uh, it was definitely interesting to like recognize his read of my hand uh, and try to use that to my advantage, basically. Yeah. Cool. Playing against every opponent, like they are excellent is good because you never know when your opponent is going to be excellent and you should be playing well against them but i think it's just also like 
part of the conversation that we had with Ash, like getting good practice in, how are you going to be able to turn up and be like, okay, this is a game I'm going to really play well in if you haven't been practicing playing well in like all of the matches. If you're not building those habits all the time, then it's going to be really hard to turn it up and be like, yeah, this is an important match that I need to play good in. Definitely. And I think that's part of my my preparation with Andrew that that fed so well into the tournament was I was playing against someone really great uh, in our testing matches, right? And I I had to really be focused. And I, I would notice after like two or three hours of straight matches, um, I would be like, I have to stop because I'm like, my brain is fried and I don't feel like I'm making good plays anymore. But I felt like it was, an, it was a very seamless transition of like testing with him and getting like really high quality matches in with him into playing against like these other players who are also really great. Um, and I think just like trying to like treat every match like that even if you're not playing against world-class players or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, just pretend you are and play play like you are. I gotta say, the testing in this, like, very deliberate way is uh, exhausting. Like, I have been not even playing <laughs> my own matches all the time. Like, I, uh, my friend Philip has been doing a, a fair amount of testing for RCQs and stuff, and when I'm around, I'll just, like, hop in and then we'll sort of like two-headed giant his match and every turn kind of you know run through the list of like what do we think is in our opponent's hand what is the plan from here and just like try to ask all of the good questions and every match we end with like a minute and a half on the clock and just like it mentally like i can play i can do about two matches of that and then i'm like i gotta go like eat something take a break this is this is a lot so i yeah it is exhausting yeah, which I guess goes to show why I was so exhausted after the tournament, just like doing that same thing, but for two two straight days. Two whole days, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and with, you know, stakes instead of it being like match four of a of a moto league where we've already lost a match. Like Yeah, exactly. Hey, but that's that's treating every game like it matters though. Yeah. Yeah. Ash would be it's... so proud. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to make her proud. That's that's my only goal here. Well, awesome. Uh, is there anything else you've been thinking about that you, you know, we haven't reached yet? I want to give you a chance to talk about whatever you have in mind. How about those uh, stationless fair breach decks? What do you guys think of that? <laughs> I think Underworld Breach is a busted magic card and you can put it in a lot of different decks and probably do powerful stuff with it. So, I you know. See, yeah, my, my feeling about the stationless breach decks the grindingless breach decks is that it's like a symptom of underworld breach being so strong as a like a card it's just general like yagmoth's will it's just yagmoth's will that people are just willing to play it without the powerful i win the game now instantly and i like having access to that even if grinding station sucks yeah but I, a lot of people just hate it. <laughs> people are allergic to registering Granny Station, and I, I, I don't know. They're just wrong, in it my shows. opinion. Yeah, I, yes. <laughs> I think these these decks are just worse than playing either yes. Murktide or Granny Station. See, I don't think they're bad decks, though. Like, they're they're not as good as something like the Grinding Breach deck, but they're they're all good cards and these do use underworld breach well so you can still win with them a bunch and feel like you're doing great and that's that's the, that's the poison that's the yeah. you know, like the thing that 
makes you get it wrong. Like, you still win games because you have Raghavan and Underworld Breach in your deck. Like, obviously, you can beat people. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it'll just be, like, another way of playing with Modern Horizons 2 cards in this format. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think it's, like, necessarily... I think it's possible that there's, like, a version that exists that we haven't found yet that is busted, but I don't think the, the current versions are... Uh, in any like in any way broken i think the more ragavans you can play and the less like considers you play oh my god i hate considering the, the closer deck. your deck is <laughs> exactly <laughs> the closer your deck is to being like really strong you know yeah i every time i draw consider when i'm playing i've been playing a couple leagues of that the stationless deck and every time i draw consider i'm like god jesus christ <laughs> like, <laughs> what have i, I have done pay, pay a mana to do this <laughs> yeah. people think this is a good this is the this is the grinding station replacement uh, where did i go wrong i lost a friend somewhere along <laughs> i am a consider fan but i have no desire to register that card in modern yeah it's very cool Consider has its place yeah. I love Arclight Phoenix. That's not it. I I, I yeah. love Pioneer Phoenix. I love considering I love entombing a Phoenix into my graveyard and drawing a card. Like it's not it in modern though. No, no. Yeah, especially when you don't even have a grinding station to put into your graveyard <laughs> to get back with your breach. Like, what are we even doing yeah. here? Yeah, uh, this bolt's gonna be so good later. I'm gonna put it in my graveyard so I can, <laughs> I can escape so I can it later. Three of them. <laughs> it's better in your hand. Yeah, that's the thing. Like every like I'll I'll like use drc like the the drc stuff and i'm like surveil like i don't know an expressive iteration i'm like i mean yeah that's the i want to draw that card but also i do want to fuel my graveyard for this like breach i don't know it's just all doesn't quite work that's why you just play the thought scours just more cards in the graveyard don't have to make hard decisions <laughs> yeah. and you'd... i think thought scour might be the the schmoove as it were in in some number mm -hmm. like a like a two of maybe but I, I think it's slightly better than consider, but I, I don't really think you want to be doing that kind of thing. And, and that's like I, like I said, you really just want your cards to be all streamlined and good. And breach just feels itself naturally, rather than playing cards that, if you're going to be playing a, just a fair game plan with under breach, you don't want to be putting cards that like are very low impact in your deck. Yeah, that's why I think shadow is probably the best way to do that sort of thing. Um, because you get to play a higher threat density. That's the other thing is there's matchups where Ragavan isn't very good, and then it's like how the how am I supposed to win this game? I like I have eight cards that that deal lethal damage in my deck. Like you play against Yogmoth or whatever, and then they have endurance for your DRC, and you're just like, oh, my, <laughs> like I can't hit you with Ragavan. I can't fly over you. What am I like? I can't bolt you out. Like, uh, yeah, not a fan. Well, you see, you simply bolt them endurance it to the bottom then you consider your way to those bolts mm. and bolt them out i'm sure you don't have that. holy cow yeah. that's so right i wrote my my <laughs> article my cfp article from last week which i just finished today was uh about this deck uh so uh, you know <laughs> it is what it is well for anybody who wants to uh get more jesse robkin content cfb read that article check that out where else can people find you as always, you can find me on Twitter at uh, TiddyPills, T-I-D-D-Y-P-I-L-L-S. One day I'll remember how to I like spell how you that. just stop after I the dump. It's like the joke is <laughs> yeah, like over. Double I don't D, want yeah. to keep talking about it. But then I have this. to tell them where it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, 
Yeah, people Pause, sometimes ask why. Yeah, people sometimes ask why it's not titty with two T's, and I'm like, because it's double D's, man. Uh, you're not, you're not in on the joke yet. Yeah, yeah let me, <laughs> let me spell it for you. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. I write for CFB and Tolarian Community College, and then also as of about a month ago, I have a Patreon that you can follow if you want to see more content about Breach or other decks, including like Mono White. I'm going to write about Teamer Breach. I'll have stuff coming out about Is It Phoenix, Grixis Death Shadow, etc. Any deck that I work on or spend time on, uh, I'm going to have uh, sideboard guides, articles, all that stuff on my Patreon. So you can find that. My Patreon is also Titty Pills, spelled the same way. You can also find it. It's my pinned tweet on Twitter. So Awesome. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. Jesse, as always, thank you so much for being here and congratulations on an awesome weekend. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm sure, you know, next time you'll do the first place so you can be first in the scientifically correct tier list. Yeah, but then I have to stop coming on because like what, you can't get better than first, right? So it's like, where am I even building to? Well, you have to like get first at like world you oh to, like, okay just the, yeah, yeah the turn up the ante each bit. time or yeah. you could go like for like a, a hat trick you know oh that's three true in a row. yeah then i'll have to have three mariachi bands that <laughs> can start getting expensive to hiring out these mariachi oh god bands. you tell you're telling me yeah you win the tournaments <laughs> immediately turn around and spend your five grand on a mariachi <laughs> band the and then taxes come around and i have to pay for it <laughs> like, whoops i already used it all my money on my, my mariachi band i i wish i didn't love mariachi bands so much <laughs> i have to commit to the bit i don't know what to tell you irs this is the cross i bear the crusade <sighs> all right well on that thanks everybody so much for listening have a great week bye